Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Hey, I'm, I'm actually feeling a trembling going on inside of me because, you know, these are privileged spaces to be in. And I, I can understand the weight of a platform in general, but there is something so weighty about this tonight and what God actually wants to do. And, and I'm so grateful to, to Pastor Corey and the team that would let me and have this space to be able to bring what I feel like God has laid on my heart. And I want to give you a bit of a snapshot about where this is coming from and where this is postured from. So many of you know my story. I was saved at the age of five. And I followed Jesus my whole child life, youth, young adult life, and stayed the course. But one of the things about staying the course was finding out the fullness of who God was and what his purpose and intent was with the earth. And I understood that revival was not something that was just an idea, but it was something that we were meant to live in. It wasn't a service or a feeling, but it was the, what we were meant to live in. And so at the age of 14, 15, I radically experienced the presence of God through different youth camps, different meetings and different moments. And, and I can actually remember being in a meeting in which was, it, was a, it was one of those ones where people were like, oh, what's going to happen? Like moments. And we'd had a massive encounter with God. I was lost in the presence of God. My other friends were lost in the presence of God. But there was two of us that looked like we were um, in the pursuit of something in front of us. Uh, that's the only way I can describe it to you. So like, if I was to visualise it, it was like this. But it was like this. Like, just, just lost, right? Now, in being lost, I, didn't, I had no idea until we were told later that the other guy, Kevin, he was also lost in the presence of God. And literally, as the presence of God was moving throughout the service, God was ministering powerfully, and we were literally just like just crossing paths. And people were like, because <gasps> they look, you look like you're going to collide. But you know, in those moments, I don't remember anything that was going on around me. I just remember that the presence of God was so tangible and so thick, I didn't want to lose it. Yeah. And I wanted to go wherever it was going. Yeah. I wanted to be wherever it was. And I didn't want to miss a moment. So that's where this message comes from today. And as I started as a teenager to to desire and to pursue God, I read all these books, these revivalists that had gone in times gone by. And and I had read about the Maria Etta Woodworth and and the the Catherine Kuhlman and, and, and even the Benny Hinn at that stage. I was taking anything I could get. He was still kicking. He's still kicking. Yeah. But I was taking anything. (laughs) I was taking anything that I could get. I was so committed to to pursuing down God. I was like reading his word like it was like it was like toilet paper, but that's a really bad analogy. (laughs) But like I was reading his word just like with absolute desperation. Oh, the joys in the house tonight. Um, I literally was chasing down anything I could get and I would read and devour every book I could find. 
and, and I just couldn't get enough. And then I woke up to this reality of like, well, hang on a second. If it happened then, why ain't it happening now? And so like looking at it and reading through the filters, you've got Benny Hinn who exists now, you've got Billy Graham who did exist back then, but he, he no longer. But then you've got like the Reinhard Bonkies, all the ones who have gone before us and they were existing and I was like, okay, but there's just a few. There's just a few. And I, I look through my Bible and I see that there were many who did great and mighty exploits when they knew their God. And so I was just on pursuit. And I don't know if I'm looking across the room today and just seeing a group of people on pursuit, but you keep turning up. You keep turning up week in, week out. You keep turning up revival night in, revival night out. And I believe that there's a hunger and there's a desperation for His presence. There's a desperation for an encounter with God. But I want to say to you tonight that there is an absolute desperation in our leadership for a revivalist to come up out of this wellspring. We have a desperation that there would be such a revival that it would create revivalists that would go and carry the presence of God in the spaces and places that it's needed. See, revival is never meant to be, I say all the time, not a tickle me Elmo moment. It's meant to be an encounter with a living God that transforms you, that then transforms wherever you go. You are carriers of the presence of God. What once dwelled in an ark now dwells in you. This is our God. He he wants to raise up and release revivalists across the earth. He's so desperate for a generation to rise. And I believe that we've gone from the days of greats to the great and many. I believe we're stepping into a season with those who would simply hear, smell, feel and sense yeah. and obey and lean in by faith, they will be revivalists across the earth. Yeah. We so believe in this that we've projected our college towards this. Yeah. If you look at our vision and mission statement, advance God's kingdom across the earth, but we want to see disciples say with the spirit of revival, discipling cities and nations. Yeah. And I remember 14, 15 being in great meetings. I remember those moments at 16 having an encounter with God that left me on my face overnight and they had to come back and get me the next day. I remember those moments. Actually, I'll tell you one. I can remember. I came out for the first time when I was like probably about five or six to an altar call in a church, Dandenong Faith Church. Uh, my dad took me because there was a healing evangelist there and I was an asthmatic. And so he brought me, we're sitting way up in the balcony, the furthest seat you could find. And at the end of it, my dad turns to me and he says, hey, do you want to go down for prayer? And I was like, guess so, yeah. My dad takes me down. I didn't have a clue what I was in for. But I went up there, I went up the front. There's another couple of people standing next to me. I was just standing there present, like just hungry for God, not hungry for what sure, didn't know. And literally I was slain in the spirit. Anyone remember the first time they were slain in the spirit? Man, that, that's... that's that those moments can leave you breathless and leave you completely confused. Like you're like, what just happened to me? I laid there as a five-year-old, six-year-old on the ground. I was like, I knew I was on the ground. I was like, well, now what? <laughs> and I remember opening my eye and trying to take a peek and the kid next to me was looking at me and I was like. <laughs> and I kind of just stayed there until the point that someone came and picked me up. You know what? I'd rather get off of the floor when someone picked me up than get up too early because I'm missing out on what God's doing. 
And I tell you, there is a hunger, there is a desire, there is a pursuit for the presence of God in my life and on the life of this church. And we're not content just to live in a holy huddle. We're only living for kingdom advancement. So much so we're willing to lay down our lives, to lay down our other professions, to lay down those things and to pick up our cross and to follow Him, whatever that means. I think I'm in the room of right people. I think I'm in the room of right people. And as I started to look back through the Scriptures, I started to ask God, God, where are the, where are the revivalists back there in the Bible? And He started to show me one after another and after another. But tonight, can I share with you one? Are you okay with this? Can I go one? Like there's a lot in the Bible, but if we just go one. All right. I want to go with Moses. Now we're all familiar with Moses with his encounter at the bush. Do you remember it? He's walking along, doing his thing. Bush burns. Oh, hey, what's that? Goes, checks it out. Take off your shoes. It's holy ground. And he has an encounter with the living God. Do you know in verse 6 of chapter 3 that it says that Moses was so afraid that he hid his face? What he beheld, he could not hold and he had to turn his face. Sometimes the presence of God will leave you absolutely astounded where you cannot bear to look. I had a moment like that back in my apartment in six months ago in June. I was seeking God and I was in the morning just doing some message prep before coming to what is called our staff discipleship and I was encountering God in my house and as I was on the floor and on the, on the, on the carpet, I was just crying out to God. And I grabbed these passages of Scripture and I just started to declare faith statements one after another after another. And then literally as I got through the list, I was like probably about three quarters of the way through, the presence of, the God, the presence of God fell in that room and I literally could not stand. I could only sob and I was left absolutely astounded. Like I couldn't, and the only thing I could say was I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Now I didn't see anything. I didn't have like the face of the Lord peer before me. I didn't have a holy cloud come around me. But I had a moment where I tangibly knew that he was right there in the room with me. And I want to suggest to you today that as much as this corporate environment facilitates encounters with God, it's never meant to remain here. It is meant to go with you into your homes, into your schools, into your universities and into your workplaces. I literally, I'll tell you another one, was in, in America and I went to the Billy Graham Library. Now, you're going to have to forgive me for my stupidity of one who does research and reads about revivalists. He was still alive at the time, so that might be an excuse. But um, I literally didn't know that the mu- library was a museum. My friend said to me, she goes, hey, do you want to come with us? And we're going to go to the Billy Graham Library. I'm like, I'll go to his crusade, but what do I want to go to the library for? Like, um, okay, all right. I just wasn't interested in going to a library. Is anyone else interested in going to a library? If someone said to you, well, you're on holidays in USA, let's go to a library. Who's up for that? (laughs) All the nerds, see Dr. Mike after. He's got great sessions and classes you can attend. Um, But literally, I, I, I was like, yep, let's go. We drove there and got out of the car and I literally was walking in. I was like, oh, this looks like a barn. There's a cross. I'm just walking in. I'm like, yeah, great. I walked in and as soon as my feet hit the ground of the property, the presence of God hit me like a ton of bricks. All I could do was cry. All I could do was just like, what, what, what is this? What is this? And my housemate looked at me and she was like, you okay? I'm like, yep. And she's like, I'll take the guys and we'll go for a walk. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. 
See, the thing is, God's presence was never meant to just get you, captivate you in a church service. It was meant to carry you into the places and spaces that you walk. And that we were meant to walk with an awareness of the presence of God day in, day out, no matter where we were or what we're doing. There was one other moment I just had a couple of years ago here in Melbourne. I was at a cafe in the middle of COVID. We just got into this cafe before the COVID lockdowns happened. And I'm standing with my friend, sitting with my friend at a bench having some breakfast, totally oblivious to the people serving us because I was consumed in the conversation I was having. And then the Lord says to me in that moment, Cherie, I want you to pray for that girl. And I was like, oh, Lord, like, couldn't have picked a day where I was friendly and nice, introduced myself, asked her what her name was and do what I normally do. I was like, God, it's Monday, it's my day off. He's like, I don't care about day off. Come on, let's be real. Because you've all been there. Oh, no, nah, Lord, I'm on the way to this kids, go pick up the kids from soccer. Oh, no, nah, Lord, I'm on the way to the supermarket. Oh, I'm busy, busy, busy. But in that moment, I was like, whoa, God, how do I do this? How do I approach this? I go to walk out and I'm literally standing there and my friend's gone to the bathroom. I walked up to her and I see that her hand's taped and I say to her, hey, so sorry I didn't get to know you, didn't, didn't know your name. I said, but I see your hand. What happened to your hand? She starts telling me about her hand and how she's got this injury to her hand. She can't hold plates unless her hand is taped and, and literally she can't do it without it. And she's been seen specialists, she's been seen surgeons, she's done, nothing they can do for it. She literally just can't hold plates. I was like, well, that's awkward. That's your job. That's what, how you make your money. And so I say, hey, listen, this might sound crazy, but I'm a Christian and we believe that Jesus can heal. How would you feel if I was to pray for you? She was like, yeah, go for it. I said, well, how would you feel if I was to put my hands on, my hands on you? I just stuck my hands on like this and I just prayed a simple prayer. Jesus, I thank you. I love it. Thank you, God. You want to reveal yourself to her? I thank you, Holy Spirit. You have the power to heal. I just pray right now. Come and touch her hand. Heal it in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, she didn't walk away going, oh, my gosh, my hand is healed. Praise the Lord. Like, she didn't do anything like that. But she just said, thank you so much. I said, that's awesome. I said, so what's up for this? And she was telling me what she's going to do. We just continue the conversation on. Natural. Presence of God is so natural. And if you leave the supernatural to him, he'll do it. In that moment... I felt like nothing happened. I felt like, well, I was obedient. Sometimes that's all God's looking for. I go back two weeks later, sitting in the cafe, and she comes up. She's like, oh, my gosh, you're that girl. You're that one. You're the one. You're the one that fixed me. You're the one that fixed me. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hang on, slow down. What? I didn't do nothing. And she's like, no, no, no. I was just talking with my mum about it. Literally, I have not had to tape my hands since. Oh, my hand's completely fine, and I'm healed. politely corrected on orthology and just said, hey, listen, that was Jesus. He loves you and has a purpose and plan for your life. This is what the presence of God is meant to look like in our lives. And and, an encounter in here is meant to give you an appetite that makes you so hungry for it, you can't help but find it in your day-to-day life. See, Moses in in, in Exodus chapter 3 has an encounter, can't stand to even look at the holiness of God in that moment. But then in chapter 24... Lord comes and says to him, hey, come. Moses is like, yep, here we go. Let's go. Take 70 elders with him plus Joshua. And God calls him up onto a mountain. And on that mountain, there's an encounter with the presence of God. 
And it says that in that encounter, it says that they saw the Lord God of Israel in verse 10. They saw the 70 elders, the, Mo, the Moses, Moses and Joshua and the people of God saw the God of Israel. Verse 11, it says, they beheld him. There's an appetite created. There's a hunger for more. And then there's a beholding. I've just got to see him. I've just got to see him. Now he's having a massive God encounter with these guys. And for six days, they're sitting at this space on the mountain. And then the Lord says to Moses and Joshua, I want you to come up a little higher. And he calls them up a little higher. And on the sixth day, it says that the Lord called to Moses and called him up for 40 days. There was such a hunger in him, he leaned into a space and God invited him closer. Do you live a life that God invites you closer? Do you live a life that's hungry for his presence? See, it says in verse 16 that a cloud of glory covered them for that six days. And when God called to Moses and Joshua and called them up, it says there was a devouring fire in sight of all the people. I want you to picture this. Moses, the leader of the Israelites, leading the people out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai, which is the place of encounter. That's what it means, the place of encounter. And they're right there. And Israel is down in the valley and they can see. They can see the encounter happening. Some have tasted, some have seen, some have been invited. Where are you at? Where do you fit in this space? See, when Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days, he had an encounter that between the chapters of 24 through to 32 or 31, there's all of this instruction about what to do. There's all of this instruction about how to behave, how to set up anointing oil, how to consecrate, how to do all of these things. And then he writes the commandments. Roll on to the next chapter after God's having an encounter with Moses and downloads all of these things. You, you got problems in your business, you got problems in your family, you got problems in your marriage. I'm telling you right now, answers are found in the presence of God. Straight up. Got financial problems, it's found in the presence of God. Relational problems, found in the presence of God. And literally what happens is, Moses is up on the mountain having an encounter with the Lord. You ever had anyone interrupt you in the middle of an encounter? Come on, it's time to get up off the floor. Like, you know, I've had cleaners try to pick me up. I can't move my legs. (laughs) Oh, if you haven't been there yet, you're yet to come to the party. When you have any, someone interrupt the God encounter. Moses is having a time of his life and the Lord says to him, sorry, Moses, we're going to stop this. We're going to have to send you down because the people down there have lost their minds and they built a golden calf. Not sure why it's a calf, not sure why it's golden, but it's a golden calf. Moses comes down from the mountain And this experience with God, the presence of God for 40 days. 
And this is the exchange, and I want to read it to you from Exodus, Moses, Exodus chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. You and all the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hezites, the Pezites, the Hevites, Hevites, Hittites, Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you unless I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, just in case you missed it, you're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. And therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves off of their ornaments from Mount Hereb onwards. I want to bring your attention to a couple of things in this passage and then we're going to jump into a few things more. Can you go a bit deeper with me tonight? Okay. Moses is commanded by God to leave Sinai. The mountain, the place of encounter with God, right? He's commanded to leave the place of encounter and had to leave the place of encounter without the one that they had encountered. Check it. When you read it, go back, look. It says, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites and all the Evorites and Mezites and, yep, all them. But he says to them, I will not go up among you. Moses, you and your stiff-necked people can have the promised land, but you can't have my presence. I'll give you an angel to guide you, but you can't have my presence. See, we're living in a generation right now that knows how to pursue God on a Sunday, but not necessarily on Monday through Saturday. And what's happening is that people in their day-to-day lives are happy to set up their golden calf, make their idols, got all the time in the world for Netflix, TikTok, got all the time in the world for my stories, Got all the time in the world to just binge watch the latest TV series. And they're building these idols. And on the weekend, they want to come to the mountain. Oh, bless me, Lord. Touch me, Lord. Feel me, Lord. And when God said to Moses, you can have the promised land, but you can't have the presence Something happened on the inside of him. He didn't want that. He never wanted that. It was the people that screwed it all up and built a calf. He was having a holy moment with the Lord. And in that moment, I can imagine in Moses' heart, something broke. Something broke. And when we read this passage, it says 
that when the people heard this news, let's pull the scripture back together again. When the people heard this disastrous word, they were mourned. The commentaries say that they were mourned and they repented. They got before God and they were like, we're sorry. We're so sorry we've screwed this up. They didn't want an angel ahead of them. They wanted the Lord. The question is, what good or value is the land full of milk and honey and possessions without the presence? Or what good is your calling without the one who called you? See, many churches, many Christians are living their Christian life, doing the Christian run sheet, doing everything that needs to be done. Tick, 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 boom. We even got communion in. But they are not living in a place where they are absolutely surrendered to the person of Jesus, the person, the presence of God. Checking in and checking out on a Sunday, maybe even a Thursday if you're really holy because you come to revival night. What good is it? Because it's not about the meeting and about the goosebumps. It's about the daily encounters. And I want to say to you today, a revivalist is not content to live without him. Revivalist is not content to live without him. I don't want to live a moment without him. I don't want to live a moment without his presence. When Moses has this conversation back with the people and says, hey, God says you're a stiff-necked people. And literally, I'm going to take you out. We're going to go to the promised land. But his presence is not coming. When he stands before the people, they are absolutely mourned and repent. They repent. But you know, chapter 32 actually tells you the full story. It says that Moses went before the people. And the other half of the story, I should say, not the full story, but the half of the story. It says that Moses called the people and said, if you're on the Lord's side, come here. And there were 3,000 that did not. And then the Lord commanded the ones that did, go kill your brother, your mother, your sister, your whatever is here left, because they're done. God means business. He actually means business in the space of your idols. He actually means business in the space of your golden calves. And some of you tonight are going to have to exchange your golden calves for the presence of God daily. Some of you are going to have to get after it. See, the thing is, Moses doesn't stop there. We're going to read on. Let's read on. Oh, Lord. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went into the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his own tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses went entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses. And when he saw all the and when he when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And when Moses returned again to his camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from his tent. See, what I love about this is Moses is so like, nah, I'm not going anywhere without the presence of God. I'm going to build me a tent. 
Tent is a place of daily living, yeah? Okay, I'm going to build me a tent. I'm going to put it just outside the camp so everybody can see. I'm going to build me a tent where I can meet with the Lord because I'm not content to live without His presence. So he takes the next step of revival as a revivalist. He restored relationship with God and he initiated and determined effort to seek God, making his own tent a place of meeting. He drew a line in the sand and he made a call to consecration. And I'm telling you right now, there always will be a separation when there is a call to consecration. In the same way 3,000 lives were lost, lost, the rest of them were restored. But there'll always be a cost to consecration. It calls a separation. And see, the beauty of this is Moses was not content to live without the presence of God. He didn't want a place for the presence of God to visit. He wanted a place for the presence of God to dwell. He had the plans ready for the tabernacle, but he wanted a tent because he wasn't content to live without the presence of God. I'm telling you right now, a revivalist establish a place in which God can dwell and not visit. Revivalists will build a place in which God can dwell and not simply visit. Man, I tell you, I feel this so heavy on the Lord. It wrecks me when I think about it over and over and over again because as a Christian, we can settle for a meeting and that's like having an angel ahead of you. As a revivalist, you can have your own tent of meeting. Oh. One of the best decisions I ever made was to start a devotional life. My mum forced me when I was a kid. Come on, kids, come to the table. It's time to do devotions. Wasn't so keen on devotions at that point. I was like, oh, mum, do you want to watch my show, Inspector Gadget? She'd bring us to the table, turn the TV off. Let's sit down, we're going to read. And she would read scriptures from the word. And then she'd pray. And I'd be like, oh, Mom, this is a long-winded prayer. Can we just hurry up? I think Penny can still win this. Just, just get this done. <laughs> Only people old enough here are laughing because they know what I'm talking about. But it started as a kid. It went into my teenage years. I've got devotional books from years ago of when I had God encounter after God encounter after God encounter. I didn't have one of those girly ones that had like, oh, this boy, I really like him and I wish he would like me. <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> I was friends with all the boys, so it didn't matter anyway. I was just like... And anyone that was doing that, I was like, mm, okay, you do you. But honestly, the best thing I did was set up a daily devotional life. But can I say to you, Ten minutes was never enough. Yeah. Half an hour was never enough. An hour never became enough. And now three hours doesn't seem enough. Yeah. 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 You might be at three minutes. But three minutes as a daily is something that's better than nothing. Yeah. Start somewhere. Yeah. Build yourself a tent. Yeah. 
where God could come and inhabit and a cloud of glory can come into that space and you can meet with God face to face and talk with Him like He's a friend. Oh, that's His desire. That's His desire. That we would live in this place of revival. But you know what I love about this? Is that Moses' example before the whole people of Israel was like, you screwed it up. I'm not going up the mountain right now. I'm going to build it out here where you can all see. Because they came out of their tents when they heard and saw him going. And then it says that they went and stood at the front of their tents and began to worship. Oh, I'm telling you right now. A revivalist will actually change the atmosphere and the people around them. It will actually, revivalists live a life that will actually provoke people to draw nearer to the presence of God. That's what the revivalist does. He gets in and says, no, 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 no. I'm going after it. But his life is shining like an example for others to see. Now, I'm just as busy as most of you, if not some of you busier. But I can't live without a moment in his presence. The Lord's so good to me, I don't even need an alarm system. I don't set an alarm. Wakes me up every day. I was like, Lord, if you're serious about this, we're going to have to work on this. Because I don't wake up so well to an alarm. Now I don't have an alarm at all. Literally don't. Got to wake me up every day, no matter if it's even a Monday or a Saturday. He gets me between 4 and 5 a.m. every single day. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'll be really, really honest with you. These revival nights, y'all, they go late. Like, we walked out of here Thursday night like 11. I'm like, Jesus, help me. I got to bed after midnight and I was like, okay, Lord. Five hours sleep, okay. Can I at least get five? <laughs> five, Lord? Let's not do four, let's go five. But literally, I can't, I can't help. I get up and I'm like, I cannot. I just want to be where the glory of God is. And can I just say, this is just being real vulnerable. My, my, my holy place doesn't look that great. I had a Jesus chair, y'all, and it was awesome. I used to sit in my Jesus chair. I've got this beautiful, comfy chair. I just, I love it. I used to sit with Jesus on it. It was amazing. I moved house. We've got a dog. I don't have Jesus' chair anymore. If I get up, the dog gets up. Well, we all know that no one's getting nothing done if the dog's up. And it ain't no good if it's waking up everybody else because everyone else wants to have a conversation. And me and the Lord need some personal time together. So, like, I've literally had to, it's going to sound ludicrous, but literally, I walk into a bathroom that is about the size of this tile, has a shower at one end, has a basin, has a toilet, and a washing machine. And I literally, I walk in there, I, at night, I leave my Bible there, I leave, ask my niece, nephew, niece, she's here, she, Bible's there, notepad's there, books there, pens are there, highlighters are there. And I walk out of my room at 5 a.m., I'll drag my pillow out of bed, not because I'm going to sleep, because <laughs> my knees are old. <laughs> and I walk in, I grab the towel, I flick a towel down, I place the pillow down, and then I just sit down there 
with my head between my knees. I can't live without his presence. I can't live without a moment with him. I can't live without knowing his heartbeat. I can't live just doing life without him. And it feels like it's the size of a tent sometimes. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I've tried to take my pressure off my knees because they're getting old. <laughs> and I have to try and like posture myself in a way that it's like, Lord, I'm here to meet with you. God, I just want to be with you. God, I don't want anyone to interrupt this time. I don't want to wake the dog up. I don't want to wake my friend up. I don't want to make my niece up. I don't want nothing up. Just want you and quiet time with you. The beauty is it affects the people around you. My mum and dad did devotions. My nan and pa did devotions. I seen it all. That Billy Graham day, 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 Bible reading plans. I just would watch them do devotion. I learned how to do devotion. Now I'm teaching my niece how to do devotion. She is coming to Newman School of the Spirit. And if you're all here and you need, you need to get conviction of the Holy Spirit, you need to sign up today. You need to get that thing done because I tell you what, you're going to learn how to live a life that lives in pursuit of his presence. You're going to learn how to live a life that's going to go after the things of God. You're going to learn how to live a life that is so hungry for him and nothing more. Personal revival always affects the people around us. Joshua did not depart from the tent. Copied his leader. Wasn't content to leave. I'm going to skip one of the points because I don't have enough time. I'll give you the point and you can read it later. But revivalists pray bold prayers. Bold and confident prayers because when Moses goes back to the Lord, this is his conversation and we will read the scripture together. Moses' intercession, verse 12. Moses said, to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know in whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favour in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me now your ways that I might know you. And in order to find favour in your sight. Ha, this is a bold prayer. Because God has already given his statement about what's about to happen. But Moses petitions anyway. Revivalists pray bold and confident prayers. They're not content to settle for what is. They want more. The last verse of that, that, well, not on this page anyway, says, Consider too that this nation is your people. (laughs) Revivalists are always invested in the nations. They're always invested in the nations. It's not just about you and your holy huddle and your cuddle and your tickle me Elmo moments and your feel good and I spoke in tongues and I didn't and I fell over and this and that. It's not about any of that. It's about nations that desperately need him. It's about nations that desperately need him. Let's read these last these few scriptures together. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Whew, the Lord answers revivalist prayers. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, God, do not bring us up from here. Again, he was not content to have God for himself. He wanted God for his people in the nation. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not you're going with us so that we are distinct 
I and your people from every other people on the earth. The presence of God is meant to make you distinct. It's not about consumption. You should be different. You should look different. You should walk different. You should sound different. You should be different. And people should say, you're different. The revivalists are distinct, both past, present, and future. And I believe that God is raising up more. I believe more than ever that God is raising up the next generation of revivalists. I believe that there will be a people that will just get before God like the others have done in the past and say, God, we are meant to be distinct. And your word says, when we preach the gospel, signs and wonders will follow it. So therefore, I'm believing that as I preach the word, that literally across this room, that lives are being healed, people are being made whole, delivered, set free, oppression lifting in Jesus' Name. Because that's what His word says. And that's what revivalists do. They hold God to His promises. And lastly, true mark of a revivalist is a hunger for more and the experience with God. And the revivalist cries, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to see your face. I want to be where you are. I want to walk with a constant awareness of you in my life. I don't want to just live in the pursuit of your presence on Sunday, but not through Monday, Saturday. I want to live with a conscious awareness of your presence here and now. That when I'm in the cafe, I can hear and pray. When I'm in the street, I can share and love on somebody. I tell you right now, there is such the presence of God in this space. And as the team come back, I honestly believe that God wants to raise up the next group of revivalists who would say, I am not content to live for anything less than the presence of God like she has talked about tonight. Because I'm telling you, it's not just for people who are been in church for years. It's for anyone who believes. It's for anyone who would put themselves in a place and say, I'll throw myself on the altar so that I can build an altar where God can come and be with me day in day. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.